Welcome to Scuba Shack Radio, episode 38, recorded Sunday, August 2nd, 2020. Scuba Shack Radio is a bi-weekly podcast in support of our mission to empower individuals with knowledge, ability, and experience to venture underwater in pursuit of their aspirations and to advocate for ocean health and sustainability. Hello again, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to Scuba Shack Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Cinturpino. Well, we've had a busy couple of weeks up here in Connecticut. As I mentioned last time, we're about to restart our open water training, and I'm pleased to report that we had a very successful completion of the confined water portion. We utilized some virtual classroom, some outdoor gear familiarization to keep our social distance, and our pool sessions with surface support in our PPE. We also used our sanitization protocols and overall a great class. Things are a little more involved to keep people safe, but it's definitely worth it. On today's show, I'm going to continue my feature on E.R. Fenimore Johnson, and in part two, we'll discuss the work he did with the Navy's underwater demolition team just after World War II. And then, for your next dive, we are going to stay here in the Northeast when I take you to Dutch Springs in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. So let's get started. Today, I'm going to continue my dialogue about E.R. Fenimore Johnson. This is part two of a three-part series on one of the pioneers in underwater photography. To recap, in part one, I talked about Fen Johnson's background, how he got into underwater photography, the company he ran in the 1930s and 40s that produced underwater camera equipment, and the work he did with the Navy during World War II. We'll pick up his story post-World War II, and Fen Johnson is now a lieutenant commander in the Naval Reserves. I think it was in 1948, when he was on his two weeks active duty down in Virginia, that according to Commander Douglas Fane's book, Lieutenant Commander Johnson wandered into his office just looking around. It was fortuitous for Fane and the Navy's underwater demolition team. You see, with the war over, the Navy was contemplating getting rid of them and making them just a reconnaissance unit. To keep the name UDT, Fane needed to take his teams underwater. To do this, they chose the Lambertson Amphibious Respiratory Unit, or LARU. I've discussed Christian Lambertson in a previous podcast. He's the guy who invented the term scuba. If you remember, the LARU is a rebreather using O2, making it safe to only about 30 feet. On a side note, it was interesting how they initially trained the UDT divers. They essentially put the unit on them, and then they tied a rope around them with weights. The unit was turned on, and if they were okay, 
they were lowered over the side of the boat to the bottom at about 15 feet. Then, if they didn't have any problems, they were hauled out and were duly qualified in the use of the unit. So, now that the underwater demolition teams can actually go underwater, they start to do some really interesting stuff, particularly with a small underwater submersible boat known as Sleeping Beauty. They also start doing some work with a submarine, the Grouper. They're getting in and out of the escape trunks, going in and out through the torpedo tubes, and doing all kinds of crazy stuff on the submarine. So all's good, right? Well, not really. The Navy doesn't really believe them, and they want visual proof. So here comes Lieutenant Commander E.R. Fenimore Johnson. He again offers his services and all of his underwater photography gear to support the project of filming the underwater demolition teams in action. The project will be conducted in St. Thomas in the U.S. Virgin Islands. That's not too bad of an assignment. And they head down there with Sleeping Beauty and all. Actually, Dr. Lambertson is also part of the team. Not only, not only are they using his lungs, he is also the pilot and instructor of the Sleeping Beauty. First things first, however, Fen Johnson needed to get qualified on using the LARU. He makes three dives. Not sure if he underwent the same rigorous qualification course that those first UDT guys did, but hey, Doc Lambertson is there, and he invented the darn thing. Because they didn't want to muck up the bottom, Johnson has a tower built on the seafloor, and he's going to use that to get shots of the Sleeping Beauty. Well, on his fourth dive, while setting up for the shot of Sleeping Beauty underwater, something goes wrong. Fenn is having difficulty breathing. He's not sure what's going on, but just before losing consciousness, he aborts the dive and has to be hauled out onto the boat. It turns out that there was a problem with the rig. A used charge of barrelime and the carbon dioxide was, uh, wasn't being scrubbed. He was suffering from carbon dioxide poisoning. With the mystery solved, he's back diving the next day. Now they're going to start doing some work with the submarine quillback, and they don't really want to waste any of the opportunity to get the shots right. You also need to remember that they are shooting film, and they are only holding about a minute or two of film in the camera. So he moves part of his underwater tower and they place it on the submarine. His job now is to film Fane getting into the submarine through the torpedo tubes. That's an interesting evolution in and of itself. Can you imagine cramming yourself into a 21-inch round, pitch-black uh, tube, hammering to the guys inside that you're ready to get out as they push the compressed gas in to drain the water? Wow. So... They film that, and now things get really interesting. They're going to try to film the Sleeping Beauty landing and taking off from the submerged submarine underway. And they have to have the guys go in and out of the submarine escape hatch. Fenn recounts this exercise in the book Naked Warriors. The submarine is about 50 feet deep and going about two knots. 
Thane and Johnson are going to be the cameramen, with Doc Lambertson piloting the Sleeping Beauty. I guess he's the most experienced guy. The two cameramen are to exit the submarine while underway and take their positions. So here's Fen Johnson with maybe eight to ten dives exiting a submarine underway. He describes how he had to position himself with his back against the ladder, how the chop from 50 feet was slamming the oxygen bottle against his chest, and how he was experimenting with turning his head back and forth to see what effects it would have on his mask. They run the exercise, and Doc Lambertson manages to land a sleeping beauty on the submarine and get out. He almost loses his mask, climbs back into the midget submarine, and takes off again. Now, the submarine surfaces with Fen Johnson and Commander Fane at their post on the deck of the submarine. This is all documented in the film and pictures. Again, I want to thank Sid Mackin from the Historical Diving Society for sharing both a short movie and many shots of the operation. They continue to do some more underwater photography work. Turns out that the UDT divers weren't particularly fond of night dives because of the sharks and barracuda they saw during the day in the harbor. So Fane and Johnson decide to do a night dive and take some underwater shots of the sub's propeller. Fenn describes how he didn't see a shark, but he was a little frightened by a rather large jewfish that was hanging around. Fenn Johnson wraps up his work with Fane and the underwater demolition team with more submarine tests. I guess they wanted to get as much time in as they could and recounts that one by one the divers start to suffer from oxygen toxicity. He even talks about the sub having to speed up to about six knots at one point with the divers hanging on. So with Lieutenant Commander Fenimore Johnson's contribution to filming these underwater exercises, the Navy now has the visual proof that these divers can operate independently and handle unique missions. They still have the depth limitation of the Lambertson lung because of the O2. But Fane is able to get an aqua lung and take it to New London, and he dives 100 feet in the escape tower up there. Then he uses it to plant explosives on a wreck in Chesapeake Bay to clear a hazard. I found this story to be extremely fascinating and engaging. Fen Johnson wasn't a young man at the time, and he didn't really have uh, the diving experience that at least we're used to having. But he contributed immensely to the Navy and to the evolution of the underwater demolition team through his expertise in underwater photography. Next time, I will close out this three-part series with a discussion on another facet of Fen Johnson's legacy, and that's the company he ran out of Ardmore, Pennsylvania, that made underwater photography equipment and distributed a wide range of scuba gear, and that company's name was Fen John. As we are painfully aware, scuba travel and travel in general has been severely impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. We just can't get to the many locations we normally go to. So on today's Your Next Dive installment, 
I'm going to talk about a place where I hope to do my next dive in a week or so, and that is Dutch Springs in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. You might have heard me mention Dutch Springs in other episodes of Scuba Shack Radio. And since it's one of the places we currently can get to, I wanted to feature it in this episode. Dutch Springs is a limestone quarry. In 1933, the National Portland Cement Company bought about 300 acres from the farmers in the area and built a cement plant and started mining the limestone to make the cement. Sounds like right after they started the mining, the quarry was flooding. It spring-fed from an underground aquifer. I guess it was a constant battle to keep the quarry pumped out. Well, the National Portland Cement Company went out of business in the 1970s, and when they shut down the pumps, the quarry flooded. What was left was a 50-acre lake that has a certain depth up to 100 feet. In 1980, the land was purchased and turned into a freshwater diving site. Stu Schooley is the current owner and can be found directing efforts around the park. The ruins of the old cement factory with the three large smokestacks are still there, and I sometimes like to walk over to that side of the quarry and take a look. It's intriguing. Let's talk a little bit more about the setup at Dutch, as we like to call it. There are essentially two sides from which diving is conducted. The left side towards the old cement factory, they sometimes refer to this as the student side, and the right side of the quarry is referred to as the peninsular side, and this is where we normally set up and dive. Dutch Spring normally opens for the season in April each year for weekends and then every day starting in May, and they run through October. As we know, this is not a normal year, and they were shut down until July 9th and have some new protocols for the rest of the 2020 dive season. I, however, am going to talk about Dutch as if it were a normal year, hopefully 2021. There are essentially three sets of training platforms, two that you can access from the peninsular side and another set of platforms on the student side. The platforms are at about 25 feet and maybe just above or below the thermocline depending on the time of year you go. You enter the water on a small platform and then follow the lines down to the submerged platforms. There are many more attractions in the quarry. Some of them you can get to by lines that lead you to them, like the Comet, a cabin cruiser in about 60 feet of water, or an Air Force crane that's in at about 65 feet. One of the dives we like to do is for our deep dive that's part of our advanced class. There's a trolley car that sits in about 70 feet of water, and we have to navigate to it because there are no lines guiding us there. Then we go around the trolley, and just behind it is a pit that drops to about 90 feet. Our students drop into the pit, come out, experience their deep dive, go back to the trolley, and then navigate back to the training platforms. Another neat dive that we do is also an attraction without a line to it, the Navy's Hell Diver. It's a large World War II carrier-based dive bomber that sits in about 50 feet of water. There are also a number of other sunken attractions that make for a full day of different diving. The visibility in Dutch Springs varies with the seasons. I've had 30 to 40 feet on occasion, 
and as little as 10 feet when the algae blooms up. Water temperature also varies quite a bit. We've experienced ranges from the 70s above the thermocline to the lower 50s when you drop deeper. In the early part of the year, mid-40s on your deep dive is not unusual. Definitely northeast diving. As I mentioned, when we go down, we set up on the right side. We normally go on a Friday and arrive at about noon. We stake out our spot for the weekend, set up our three canopies, and maybe even sneak in a dive, a dive before heading over to the hotel. You can also camp at Dutch. Not this year, though. And they have two bathhouses on each side, a snack bar, and a gift shop. They also do gear rental, including dry suits. And they fill both air and Nitrox 32. Unfortunately, this year, the Nitrox 32 is not being offered. If you're not into camping, and I'm not, there are plenty of hotels within five miles of the quarry. I like to stay at the Residence Inn near the Lehigh Valley Airport, but there are other Marriott properties, Hilton, and a Holiday Inn available as well. And don't worry about finding a place to eat. There are plenty of restaurants close by. During a normal year, we make four to five runs to Dutch Springs each dive season. We've already missed two, so we're anxious to get down there. We know it's going to be different this year, at least on the surface, but we're excited to make our next dive at Dutch Springs in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. See you soon, Stu. That wraps things up for today. Thanks for listening. I'll be back again in a couple of weeks when I wrap up my three-part series on Fen Johnson and maybe talk a little bit more about the world of diving and what's going on with our ocean health. Till then, please consider giving the show a rating on your favorite podcast app. Subscribe if you haven't already and pass it along to others who might be interested. So long. Scuba Shack Radio is a bi-weekly podcast in support of our mission to empower individuals with knowledge, ability, and experience to venture underwater in pursuit of their aspirations and to advocate for ocean health and sustainability. Talk to you next time. <laughs>